Star jump sequence terminates, Captain. Get the gravitational dampers online and open the blast aye, shield. Aye, sir. Bring us in closer. Aye, aye, sir. Moving us in on sublight drive. Extreme magnification. Aye, sir. The center of the galaxy. And there's our black hole. The experience of a lifetime, Captain. Let me put this on audio. We should be able to hear the magnetic resonance field. This is it, ladies and gentlemen. The edge of time and space where the impossible can happen. Welcome to the event horizon. Good morning, or afternoon, or evening, whatever is relevant for the part of the world you are in. Indeed, welcome to the event horizon where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time as we delve into the worlds of science fiction, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. I am your host, Gene Turnbow. And I am your host, Susan Fox. And with us today is none other than Vic Mignana. Hello, Susan. Hello. <laughs> Hello, gentlemen and ladies all. He is the lead and producer and uh, head, head writer. Head honcho. Head, head everything for, for Star he Trek is Continues. The, he is the yeah, captain. For, for better or worse, that's me. Yes, Captain Kirk, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. We have really admired this show, and I was involved in one of the other productions, and I say you're the best, so well, thank take you. that as it was. You know what? I love you, and I'm, <laughs> and I, I'm forced to agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> ooh, ooh, wrestled him with logic. Ooh. I mean, yeah, I, you know what? I, I have absolutely zero against anybody who wishes to pursue their dream and if they've got a childhood love of Star Trek and a, a dream to make some of it for themselves, I'm all I'm all for that. I don't hold that against anybody. But you know, when it comes to when you start looking at, at you know, you start kind of compa- com- comparing and contrasting. I think that uh, I feel that the the team at Star Trek Continues has by far done the best job of of paying tribute to the original series. I have to agree with that. Every single aspect of Star Trek Continues is pitch perfect. Thank There's you. so much you've done right, even down to the lighting. And I'm kind of funny when it comes to tiny well, details. You know what? Like that, that kind of stuff is not by accident. You yeah, know? obviously. Like, like a lot of people don't realize, really don't realize how much goes into making something like this. Um, you know, people think, well, you know, we'll make costumes and we'll. We'll build a little set and we'll, boom, we'll have Star Trek. No, 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 no. There are so many things that go into what is uniquely original series Star Trek. And, um, uh, you know, I'm very, very blessed and, and humbled to say that I've, I've put together an amazing team of uh, cast and crew who understand what that is and are, are extremely gifted and talented at executing it. So uh, thank you for saying that, because none of those things happen by accident. It takes a real study of uh, of the production techniques. I mean, right, right right down to how how the lights are mounted and where right. you edit and how how William Shatner walked down the hall, the corridor. And how you name the the episodes. You can always tell the difference between the original series episodes, which actually mean something. Right. It's like Shakespeare quote or, you know, some, or a line right. of dialogue. Right. From a poem or something, yes. Yeah. Like the current one. Oh, God, what a segue. God, oh, I'm yeah. so brilliant. Come not between the dragons. And have you Ooh. been... Uh, have you been theorizing what that might possibly mean? What it could possibly be? Well, about? there is a popular phrase in science fiction fandom: uh, uh, "Do not meddle in the affairs of dragons, for thou art crunchy and go well with ketchup." But I don't <laughs> think this applies here. No, no, that's that's not 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 it. But thanks for playing. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming between one. Certain death and another. Oh, now there's a, that's an interesting. That's it's an interesting Scylla case. and Charybdis. It's, this Ooh. is from the ancient Greek. Nice, mm. nice. But uh, thank you for your kind words. Um, we've 
we uh you know i started this production a few years back with nothing more than the desire to pay genuine tribute and homage to the show that inspired me in so many ways when i was a little boy and uh and it is beyond gratifying to make these episodes with so many people that i love and respect and cherish and and not only that but to put them out there and to have so many people enjoy them as well and to build new relationships absolutely with, with the with the people that you've been working with absolutely and, i can't begin to tell you how close the people that work on star trek continues have become we we have the greatest time the greatest time and many of the people who work on the show are have have a thread uh, uh, that runs through their lives that join them to the original Star Trek. Well, yeah, yes. I mean, Chris Dewan is the obvious go to right, there. Right, right. But uh, I think I think your man Todd ought to be hired on as a Vulcan in the new show. And he's got he's got <laughs> well, the Todd the mannerism and he's got the he, the, the yeah, facial he, structure. You know what I mean? He's a great actor. He's a very very good actor. And I got to tell you, you know, a lot of people think, oh well must be so easy to play a Vulcan because you don't have any emotions, so you just stand there and talk deadpan. No, nothing could be further from the truth. Actually, it's harder to play a Vulcan because you, all of those emotions have to be there, but they have to be kept at bay under the surface. Very finely and, uh, nuanced performances. And yeah. after and, after all these years, we all know what how to read a Vulcan. You know what I mean? Right, right. We Wait till you see the next episode. The next episode has so many wonderful moments and I am I'm so excited uh to for everybody to see it last yesterday yesterday Andy Farber uh the man who has been composing original orchestra music for episode 4 and 5 Andy Farber uh was at my house yesterday and we were watching episode 6 and doing what is called spotting the episode. Mm -hmm. In other words, we were deciding at what spots in the episode it needed music and what kind of music. Um, so it's uh, it's very exciting. Episode six is done, except for uh, the, the the music and, and audio mix. So uh, things are right on schedule for our big premiere at MegaCon in Orlando at the end of May and a little sneak preview at FedCon in uh, in Germany two weeks earlier. <sighs> I can't possibly get a passport by then. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> so what can I tell you? What would you like to know? Ask me anything. Uh, well, well. <laughs> excuse me while I breathe for a moment. <laughs> no, no, no. What's it? Give us the log line. What's it about? What? The new episode. It, there's a lot. There has to be a. Hook. Well, there is, but I'm I'm not going to tell you. Well, okay. I'm going to read it in the TV guide. What does, well, What does the TV guide say? Good luck with that. Um, <laughs> I don't. I uh, we are we are we are not saying much about it. Um, <sighs> as we never do. I mean, like mm -hmm. for instance, when we did the Civil War episode, you know, I didn't want to tell everybody, hey, it's about the Civil War. I mean, well, yeah, how anticlimactic would that be? Well, you're. Your uh, uh, photographs, you know, the advanced photos, kind of gave no, that away. No, it, but they, but none of, but them no, they, they didn't. You see, after the episode was released, yeah. Now oh, this true. only has just like the big cast photo on the bridge. Going, well, that's right. not so, helpful. So I'm, 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 I'm not inclined to give anything about mm -hmm. the specific story away. But what I will tell you is this: here's what I can tell you about episode six. Um, first of all, episode six. Uh, premieres and features very prominently our beautiful new engineering room. Ooh, um, boy. So you will, I mean, it is, it has a beautiful um, premiere and um, presentation and then uh, some very exciting scenes in engineering. Um, <clears throat> also, uh, the Doohan family mansion, right? Uh, right. And <laughs> Gigi poor Barons. <laughs> Gigi uh, Edgley. Is the guest star? Oh, of episode wow! Six, Gigi Edgley from Farscape. Oh yes, and, we, uh, we, she is amazing. We, we love know, her. We know well who she is, and she yeah. had, she was the uh, the host of the uh, Henson. Um, that's right. The, that's uh, right. Henson uh, workshop uh, challenge. Creature shop. Or creature or shop challenge. Uh, yeah, but uh, she she was absolutely brilliant, 
And uh, the story has got tons of action and some great humor and also some very emotional, uh, impactful moments. So it's classic Star Trek at its best. <clears throat> this narrows it down not a bit. <laughs> However, it does tantalize. It does. So mission accomplished. <laughs> well, thank you. And you I were, and you were. First, I believe we will be the first fan production, the first production since the original series ended to have the engineering section back on screen. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. It is. What, it is. Uh, it yeah. is. Nobody has ever built it. And while there are some other productions that are in the midst of building it, um, nobody has built it to this degree uh, as completely as we have. And it certainly is not going to be on screen, I don't think, before ours will. Well, so. and it's going to be uh, quite a step up from 2009 Star Trek's um, brewery. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if a step up, definitely a step sideways. I mean, definitely a step toward the original. I mean, I have nothing against JJ and what he did, uh -huh. but uh, but I think there is a large contingent of people like myself, perhaps like you two, who uh, who love the original series mm -hmm. and love everything about it. And so those are the people that we are that we are making Star Trek continues for. I guess you could say that say hop up from the brewery tanks. <laughs> they they use the Anheuser Busch plant up up the street here. Oh, that <laughs> kind of humor. Of their, that kind of humor. Yeah, I can't. When I was it. when I was uh, when I was about uh, twelve years old, and they still gave tours. Uh, I got to see that brewery room, and it has not changed one iota in all of this time. <laughs> neither is the beer. And neither is the, yes, sadly. Um, the new crowdfunding, it used to be a Kirkstarter, now we Indiegogo, where no man has gone before. Right. In, boldly Indiegogo. Bold, yes. yes. Um, well, yeah, we, uh, as you know, uh, or maybe you don't, but, but, uh. I paid for the first episode of Star Trek Continues um, myself out of my savings. I didn't ask the fans to give me money for something that I hadn't proven I could do. I didn't ask them to, you know, to fund my little project. I, I thought if this is something I feel strongly about, I should probably put my money where my mouth is. So the first episode, Pilgrim of Eternity, I paid for. And then uh, after we made that episode – we uh, after we made that episode, we went down to uh, we we went to Kickstarter, Kirkstarter, and said, "Okay, if you like what we've done here, here's a here is a proof of concept. Here is uh, a perfect example of what we are capable of if we if we have the the financial wherewithal to do it." And we asked for a particular amount of money to make three more episodes, and that is exactly what we did. We were given the amount we asked for, and we made two, three, and four. We made them efficiently in a time-efficient manner, and uh, and quality episodes, Lolani, Fairest of Them All, Pilgrim of Eternity. And then last February, a year ago, we launched another Kirkstarter, and we said, okay, if you guys like what you're seeing, uh, we want to raise this much to make five and six and build the never-before-built engineering room. And we made the goal, and that is precisely and exactly what we did. And I have seen photographs of the new engineering room. Oh, yeah. They you can see it on our website. You can see it on the website, StarTrekContinues.com. In fact, you may not know this, but you can go to StarTrekContinues.com, click on About, and you will see uh, three little circles there. That are virtual tours that you can literally walk around through our sets, turn around and look 360 degrees as if you're actually there. Oh, that's so, magnificent. Uh, so check it out. But anyway, so we, we launched another Kickstarter. We made our goal and we did exactly what we said we were going to do. We made five. We made six. We built engineering and, uh, and we even over delivered. We actually, squeezed a little bit of episode seven out of the money that we were that we raised and so now we are launching uh another campaign we've decided to move over to indiegogo and boldly 
Indiegogo, and uh, we've set a goal that will allow us to make three and a half more episodes, like finish seven, and then make three more on top of that, and uh, and um, also to you know the cover of the rent on our building mm-hmm. where our studio is, and that kind of stuff. So that'll last us if we make that goal. It'll last us like another year and a half or two. That is awesome. The set, the new set, the engineering set is, uh, I mean, when you shoot on a set, there are generally wild sections that you have to move out. Is that true of the new engineering set or is well, it just big enough for you, you to just climb into and well, no, set up whatever you, you need? No. In order to get a big enough shot, you always have to get be able to get the camera far enough away from the set to shoot into the set. So you never want to build a set with all four walls you know, locked together. Otherwise, you'll never get out. <laughs> well, not only that, but you'll never be able to get the wide shots that show the whole room. You'll mm-hmm. never be able to get some of the classic shots that they would have been able to get. Plus, when you reverse the camera and shoot in the other direction, you need to be able to move stuff around and be able to to get the camera in place. So in answer to your question, um, if you walk into the engineering room through the door – uh, everything in front of you and around to the left side has all been built. The ceiling, all of that, but to the right side is open because 99% of the time they shot into the engineering room from the right side. Aha. Uh-huh. So basically we have three walls mm-hmm. and, uh, and then one open wall for shooting into, into, the, into the set. So have you been following the general uh, studio blueprint for how the stu- the uh, the sets were laid out? Oh, we sure have. Yeah. In fact, our if you go to StarTrekContinues.com and, like I said, click on About and then look at those virtual tours, you'll be able to walk down the corridor and literally walk right in to all of the sets connected to the corridor exactly the way they were in the original soundstage. Our our soundstage has been laid out exactly like the original Desilu soundstage. Have you been taking advantage of any new technology with respect to how the various set pieces work? Say, uh, I mean, in the old days, if you wanted a door opened, you had a guy behind the wall yanking a yanking a cable to open the doors. Is that still how they work? That is exactly how ours work. We have a wonderful, a wonderful uh, team member named Royal Weaver, mm-hmm. and his uh, his affectionate uh, nickname is Doors. <laughs> <laughs> and literally, that's because any time on any of our sets, any time on any of our episodes that you see a door open, Royal is back behind the wall, pulling pulling the cable and opening the door. Now, how does how does doors get the cue on somebody either either somebody off stage gives it to him or the Uh actor gives it to him for instance Uh if i am if i'm on the bridge and i'm at my captain's chair and Mm -hmm. then i'm getting ready to leave and i turn around and i head toward the turbo lift my back's to the camera right Mm -hmm. so as i'm racing to the turbo lift i say doors and he opens the doors for me (laughs) nice cool i decide when Uh they need to open and i can time my exit you know, to look like the doors are opening exactly as I arrive. Uh-huh. Um, and if 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 you're in a situation where your mouth is seen, you're on camera, then somebody off screen will say doors and that'll be the cue. And then, of course, we erase that when we mix it. I see. I mean, I've always wondered about that. But, uh, you know, it would cost too much money mm-hmm. to try to put in some kind of an you oh, know, yeah uh, that would be sensor, ridiculous some kind of an electric sensor or something plus if it was good enough for the original series it's good enough for us but in answer to your question about um taking advantage of technology i will tell you something very interesting along those lines in the original series all of the lights in the consoles on the bridge generated so much heat and 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 they were so hot that they would rehearse the scenes without anything turned on 
And when they were ready to shoot, they would turn everything on and they'd shoot real quick and then they'd turn it off. Because and if they do, they have to. You, you, hold on. You will find that some people that own pieces of the original consoles will can show you that some of them have actually melted because the mm-hmm. the lights that they had to use back in those days were so hot and intense that it would melt the plastic that was on the that was on the set now the all of the lights that were on the original bridge and i mean the practical lights like mm-hmm. the overheads and the con- the console lights and all the little blinking buttons and everything they generated tons of amperage well with today's technology we have our lights on all the time and they generate no heat and they generate like a, a couple of amps at the most. So we're, we're able to use technology to accomplish the same look without some of the same challenges that they had. There is nothing that heats up a studio set more than a big pile of incandescent light bulbs. Oh, you got that right. I just I it must have raised the room temperature as well. I mean, it's well, yeah, and that's why you can impossible. see in a lot of original series episodes they're sweating like crazy. <laughs> uh-huh. It's not because they were about to be disintegrated. It's <laughs> <laughs> or that rotten velour. No, actually, it was because you're right. It was because in order to expose the film back in those days, they had to have so much. They had to pour so much light onto the set. And uh, it, it must have been extremely uncomfortable. Now, the cameras you're using now are uh, what? What are you using? Are you shooting in 4K or no? Or we're, sh- we're shooting. We're, we're shooting. Uh, we're shooting in, in HD, of course. Mm-hmm. We're using a Sony F3 camera with prime, really quality prime lenses, but we're shooting digitally. Mm-hmm. But because we want it to look like the original series, once we shoot it. And edit it. One of the final touches that we put on our episodes is we actually put film grain into the video so that it looks like it was shot on 35 millimeter Kodachrome film. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, down to the pixel level. Yep. <laughs> yep. That, that's I. That's marvelous. We're and, bowing yeah, in your direction. Yeah, film film grain in particular is a tricky yes. thing to manage. You know, yeah. when, well, when you have certain, to do it digitally. Well, digitally. you know, there are certain programs out there that um, synthesize and approximate specific types of film grain. So, our people that do this, James Kerwin, mm-hmm. Matt Busey, they know exactly what kind of film was used and what kind of grain it generated. And uh, and we add that to all of our episodes before they're released. That level of detail is one of the things that makes this this series so great. Thank you. The um, well, the colors in the old series. Come on, that was Kodachrome, baby. Oh yeah, couldn't be and anything they else. Sell, they were trying to sell color TVs. You betcha. So, I mean, and it worked. Yep. So they shot all this on reversal. Reversal. Kodachrome, really? Yeah. What else would it be? I had fifty-two forty-seven. Uh-uh. No? No. Huh. Yeah, but it just, uh, um, I know they shot the stuff in, uh, 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 in motion picture cameras, and I was under the impression that they were shooting either in 16 millimeter or 35. I'm no, pretty 35. sure it's 35. 35. 35. Okay. So the, the standard emulsion of the day, I think, was 5247. Well, you're so, you're you're beneath you're you're you're. I'm out of my depths now. <laughs> and that that would be a negative stock rather than. Uh, I mean, Kodachrome is a reversal film, so. Uh, yeah, but they had they were going for colors. Yeah, not just the the cast uniforms, but everything. Mm-hmm. And I I remember that uh, that they had color timing problems. Uh, the shirts that uh, that the command uh, command crew wore were not the beautiful gold that we were shown on television. They were kind of greenish, kind of mustard green. Well, what, what's interesting, you guys, is we have exactly the same uniforms. I mean, our tunics are made from exactly the same fabric as the third season uniforms were in Star Trek. And what's interesting is if you look at them under natural, like, overhead lights – uh, I guess fluorescence. If you look at them, in, uh, your, the normal eye 
sees them as almost an avocado green, but they but they photograph more gold. Hmm. God, and the digital probably catches them exactly the way they're supposed to look. And well, but, and, uh, and there's a certain but, amount of color but timing. Tend to, but they still tend to photograph mm-hmm. uh, yeah. more gold than they than they really are. Well, that's that's a. I just I can't help but wonder if they weren't selected for that reason, or if that was an accident. You know, I, don't I don't know. Actually, we don't have anyone we get left to tell. <laughs> well, the first first and second season velour was much more of a flat-out, full-on golden yellow. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've seen those uniforms. I've seen Kirk's tunic. I've held Kirk's first-season tunic in my hands. And it is is a full-on yellow gold. But the third-season tunics uh, shifted a little bit toward a little more of a greenish gold. Mm -hmm. When was the wrap... That one wrap tunic that uh, Kirk right the olive the olive colored yeah yeah that well they had a version of it in the first season and then in in the second season um, they did a new kind of a new take on it and uh, and Kirk wore it several times in the second season it had the gold piping around the neck mm-hmm. and uh, and then you never really saw it I don't think in the third season but of course I wore it in uh, in our episode. Um, Divided we stand. I wore mm-hmm. I wore the green wrap in uh, in episode five. Divided we stand was such a marvelous story. Oh, thank you. That was uh, that was classic classic Star Trek. Uh, the The whole idea of Star Trek continues being to continue the five year voyage that right. they that they never got to in the original right. series. Uh, the original series. Uh, from what I read, uh, was not actually canceled because of ratings. Uh, well, that's someone else's just fine. That's someone know. else's interview. That that yeah. we should go back and talk to Mark Cushman about. <laughs> well, yeah, Mark will tell you. I know Mark very well. Oh, he'll, yeah. uh, he'll tell you that it was because it cost too much. It, there were several reasons. It cost too much money. Mm-hmm. Uh, the studio didn't like how much money it cost. That's why the third season didn't look as good. As the first or second seasons, because they kept cutting their budget, so they didn't have time for all of the beautiful lighting setups, um, and uh, and also uh, Roddenberry was constantly at odds with the studio about what he wanted to do. He wanted to push the envelope, uh, and you know, and really, uh, really, you know, really uh, do new things and and address uh, topical issues, which they didn't want to do. Mm-hmm. And and that's the reasons that the studio – those were the reasons that the studio kept putting it into crummier and crummier time slots because they were trying to kill it. They were trying to put it into a time slot where they could finally say, well, the, the ratings are really bad, so we need to cancel it. When the real problem was they couldn't afford it anymore. Well, it just cost or more than they, they wanted to spend. Yeah, they – yeah, but uh, this is something that you don't have to deal with at all, and it's it changes the entire palette. Well, that is true, but I will tell you that an original series episode in 2016 dollars would be about a million. Oh, their their budget per episode was one hundred and fifteen thousand dollars in nineteen sixty eight sixty nine, so. In today's dollars, that would be well over a million dollars. And we are making Star Trek Continues episodes, which arguably are of a similar, uh, comparable quality level for literally seventy, seventy to eighty thousand dollars, which is unheard of. That's less than one tenth. Of, uh, well, of, you're also not paying union scale either. Well, that's exactly it. We're not. <laughs> nobody's getting paid. It's, yeah. it's being done. It's being done for love of the original series, which is the only way we're able to do it. And that uh, that leads me to uh, another thing I wanted to talk about, which was uh, how do you see Star Trek continues uh, in in the larger sense in its in in the. Uh, in its place in the entire Star Trek mythos with respect to the licensing issues and 
I mean, we've, well, it we've, cast, it is by by definition alternate universe. Well, it is. Well, it is now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if they want to hire Vic and it. the gang for for the the new Star Trek project, <laughs> Lord love them. Well, I I'm not holding my breath for that, but I will tell you this. Um, my goal is to make 13 episodes and finish the five-year mission. Okay. That is my goal. That's a good one. My goal is to pick the series up where it was canceled and to end the series, actually give an actual series finale to uh, to the original series of Star Trek. And... Um, and uh, leave the characters where they were when the motion picture picked them up. So that is my goal, and uh, we are going. We are hopefully going to be able to accomplish that goal. Mm-hmm. CBS has been very, very kind and very, very generous to allow fan productions to exist mm-hmm. under certain circumstances. As long as they don't violate certain rules and certain instructions, CBS has allowed dozens and dozens of fan films to exist over the years. And uh, as far as I know, as far as I can tell from my contacts with them, uh, CBS uh, uh, Star Trek continues is in very good standing with them because we do not have never and will never violate any of the any of the the restrictions and the the rules that CBS has placed upon fan productions. That is kind of a narrow tightrope to walk in some cases. It is. It is. But you know what? We're very honored to be able to pay tribute to this show that so many people loved. And we're going to do it. Uh, we're going to do it, you know, hopefully to the, to the completion of our series. And uh, one thing I can tell you is that we are paying – we are paying homage and we by what we are doing and the level at which we are doing it we are paying honor and tribute uh you know uh, to the to the original series and CBS's license um we're treating it reverently and respectably and honorably you know what i mean mm-hmm. so uh so I, I'm I'm hopeful that we'll be able to continue, and rather than just go 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 until we're done, or go 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 until we get shut down, uh, or until we get too old, <laughs> mm-hmm. rather than just go 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 go, I've actually set a uh, an end goal, and that is 13 episodes, and finish the original series. It's like writing the last uh, uh, the last movement in a concerto. Exactly. I mean, can you believe that arguably the most iconic television series in history never had an ending? Well, and Gilligan's end of the crew didn't get picked up either. Never had a series finale. They didn't do series finales then, though. You know, Wagon Train kept going. (laughs) Well, now uh, that we have established that there is a motion picture where Kirk is no longer captain of a starship, he took a desk job. Ooh, hated it. Why the hell did he do that? He thought it was the next, next no, but logical my, no, step. But my huh? point, been but my point Susan, is that's a hell of a story. Mm. Could have what would have caused this, yeah. James Kirk to give up his ship? Mm-hmm. Mm. What would have caused Mr. Spock to leave Starfleet and return to Vulcan to pursue the Kulinar, the purging of all remaining emotion? What would cause Dr. McCoy... To hang it up altogether and say, you know what, I'm done. I've seen enough, and walk away completely. Oh boy! You see my point. Mm-hmm. There is a very powerful story to be told there, and we're working on it right now. The amount of the amount of preparation and background that it must take to assemble a script like that. I mean, it's. It's not just one script either. It's the entire story arc leading up to that event. Yeah, they're very hard to find. I'll be honest with you. I was hopeful. I was very optimistic. When we did the first episode, I thought to myself, now, now that this is out, all of these wonderful stories are going to come pouring down the pipeline and we're going to have all of these great story ideas to choose from. And you know what? 
it just didn't work out that way. Hmm. Because believe it or not, once you set a standard as high as we have set, once you've put the bar at the level of a story that is classic Trek, that has a, a deep, endearing theme to it, something that, that is, is interesting and thought-provoking and topical maybe, ethical dilemma, moral quandary, suddenly there aren't very many episodes. You know, suddenly it's a much harder episode to find. Have you been enlisting the uh, assistance of other screenwriters who have worked on Star Trek before? Um, yes and no. We've had a couple of ideas pitched to us. But I'll be honest with you. If the story doesn't move me, then I don't want to do it. So if David Gerald came to me tomorrow and said, I have this really great story idea, and the fanboy in me would say, ooh, wow, it's David Gerald. How cool would it be to have an episode David Gerald wrote? Yeah, that's all well and good. But if the story isn't any good, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. If he submits a story and I'm like, eh, yeah, not so much. Well, then we're not going to make it. It doesn't matter who wrote it. So there's not going to be any dud episodes between now and the end. Oh, no, not hell if I no. can help it. Hell no. <laughs> not if I can help it. The difference between uh, what you are doing and what the original series was doing was that the original series had only a very loose sort of uh, story arc uh, going from one episode to the next. It was still very much episodic television. And you are bringing the characters to this destination. Uh, right. How different is your development process because of that? Well, it's it's different in that we know where we want to end up. Mm-hmm. So, like, for instance, if I know that I want two characters to have a particular type of relationship by the time the series ends, well, then we have to start crafting that relationship now. You can't expect to just throw that into the last episode, you know, and the viewers to accept it. The viewers would be like, what the hell is this? Mm -hmm. They never had that kind of relationship before. Why are they jamming it in here all of a sudden? So we are already doing that. We are beginning in the episode we're about to release. uh, We're already beginning to interject uh, relational elements and things between characters that will ultimately, uh, you know, take them where we where we want to end up. One of the delightful things I think about the new production, uh, Star Trek Continues, is that you are not afraid to do things like create new characters. Yeah, you know, Michelle Specht. Yeah, uh, is the yeah. Uh, she is the ship's counselor? Is that right? Yep. Mm-hmm. First, well, first experimental ship's counselor. Which which fits right in the in the uh, the history of Starfleet. Well, yeah, right we didn't right see place. that. We didn't see that until Next Generation. Mm-hmm. Exactly, but by the time Next Generation came around, all the ships had ships counselors. So, I mean, like ships counselor on on the starships was kind of a normal thing. So the the obvious question is, when did they start that? My theory is where after they got a load of mash and they couldn't have Father Mulcahy on the starship, so they <laughs> <laughs> so they made a, a secular version. <laughs> Possibly so. But uh, the ability, you know, the the fact that you have your own <laughs> stories and you're you're charting your own course, so to speak, uh, gives you the ability to create some very interesting characters and some very interesting. Uh, plot dynamics that simply wouldn't have been possible if you were well, and that is what we're hoping to do. Mm-hmm. But again, the big the big challenge is, and the and the real the real uh, the hard part about that is that you're that you're trying to create a character for a very very beloved and well established universe. So. And it all you has know, to fit I mean, precisely. You're talking about when you're talking about iconic characters like Kirk, Spock, McCoy, Sulu, Uhura, Scotty, Chekhov. They're iconic, like around the world. And you're going to try to, you know what I mean? You're going to try to 
create a new character that you know what I mean that mm-hmm. that can gel in with that um you know with with that iconic group of characters that's a challenge that's a big challenge yeah it's it makes it makes an interesting uh an interesting new tool to, for for storytelling and uh and opens up a lot of new opportunities it's i really enjoy the interactions that she has and the fact that she is in that role it gives her and you sort of a window into what the characters are feeling that wasn't really accessible to the writers of the original series. Not even when your doctor's your bartender. (laughs) Yeah, so, oh, let's see. I'm a surgeon, not a psychiatrist. (laughs) Well, and now we have a psychiatrist on board. And there we go. Obviously, they needed one. So, um, one of the challenges of doing an episodic show like this is uh, that you sometimes have to go on location. (laughs) And we saw that in the previous one, uh, the the Civil War episode. Mm -hmm. Right. That was the first, that was our first, um, that was our first uh, episode off the ship. Yes. Are you planning on doing many more of those? Well, I wouldn't say we're planning on doing many more, but I would definitely say that there will probably be at least one or two more in our, uh, you know, one or two more in our, in our uh, 13 episode season. <laughs> well, we take you to, uh, you know, Brunson Caves and in, in Griffith Park or, well, or as Vasquez matter fact, Rocks. As a matter of fact, I would love to shoot at Vasquez Rocks. We can do that. That would be iconic. I, mean, I would love to. I would love to do that. Everybody does that. We saw a a Korean pop video the other day. There they were, Vasquez Bloody Rocks. Yeah, but it's it's um, it's, it's K-pop, and this this kid had his mm-hmm. his hair kind of blondish and a gold tooth, and the boy band dancing. <laughs> I and love it. And, but shooting at Vasquez Rocks, I mean, it's people don't realize. I'm okay. It's just a bunch of rocks. You bring your truck. You bring your gear. You bring your actors. No, 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 no. no, no. It's far more complex than that. Oh yeah. And involved uh, in the equation is uh, getting the necessary insurance, getting the filming permits. Well, like, yeah, yeah, and because, all of that other because stuff. It's a because it's a state park. You have to have a filming permit, which is not. The easiest thing to do, but yeah, I mean, I'm prepared to do that. But you're right; most people think, "Oh, you should go out and shoot at Vasquez." Well, yeah, you're right. I That'd should. That'd be lovely. Right? Yeah, thanks. A day when no one else is there, you know. Yeah, you have to you have to close the park, you know. And yeah, and, and did I mention the thing. wasps? <laughs> if you bring even so much as a bottle of water, there are wasps. That's not something you hear. That is true. It's it's vicious out there. Yeah, it it can be nasty. But uh, so what kinds of problems did you encounter when you were shooting on location well, that you, you did not expect to have to deal with? Or did it just go like clockwork? Well, uh, one of the one of the most common things that that you deal with when you're on location is lighting. Mm. Um, unless you unless you have a, you know. A four-ton grip truck with generators that you're able to bring out and light light an outdoor area the way you want. You're pretty much at the mercy of what you get for the day, and then what time of day, and what is the setting, and sh- shadows, and trees, and and uh, you know clouds, any number of things that can have an ill effect on on the lighting. So lighting is one thing. Another thing is traffic. Um, you know, people, if you're anywhere near any kind of roads, you know, typically you're going to hear cars go by. You may hear a plane fly overhead, things that you don't have much control of. And of course, you know, 
speaking again of the light, you only have so many hours of light that you can shoot out outdoors. Mm-hmm. Um, there are plenty of any number of challenges, as you can imagine. Um, having said that, our Civil War episode went like clockwork. We went out into the woods with 15 or 20 extras and our and our our camera and a tripod and a microphone and uh, and one reflector board to fill in the shadows and shot uh, very efficiently. Uh, and then we you know we found an open field to shoot the the battle scenes. Um, and I was I mean I'm I was very very proud of the way that episode came out. And the. The sense that you get when you watch this episode is that there's a whole world, you know, uh, there's a civil war going on at the edges of the screen where you don't see it. Exactly. It's like wherever you turn, there's evidence of what should be there. Uh, And you had enough extras. Thank you very much for doing that to make it look real. There was there just. There's a certain threshold where, where you don't have enough background personnel to make it feel That's like true. a real situation. That's absolutely true, and that was something that that when I was putting together this episode and planning for this episode, that was something that I, from the very beginning, uh, stressed to the people that were helping us, and that was we have got to have at least twenty to twenty-five extras all with their own gear and tents and backpacks and weapons and all of that and uh and so we worked very very hard to um worked very hard to uh to to get to get those people to commit to driving down to where we were going to be shooting and they literally pinched they they literally pitched tents out in an open field and uh and we fed them and took good care of them, but whenever we were shooting, you know, they'd be in uniform, and we would direct them and choreograph them. Okay, you three guys, you start over there, and you walk this way. You start over here, go that way. You come on up here and sit down at this chair. You guys walk halfway across and start a conversation right here. I mean, you know, giving them all business to do to fill in the scenes. Mm-hmm. Well, you made the the fondest dreams of the historical recreation hobbyist come true, didn't you? (laughs) Well, you know, what's funny is that I told the Civil War guys that exact thing. I said, you know what? You guys get it because you're doing exactly what we're doing. It's just a different subject. (laughs) Different century. I mean, you love the Civil War, Mm -hmm. so you're dressing up and reenacting the Civil War because of your passion for it. So you get it. We love Star Trek, so we're dressing up and writing stories and creating new Star Trek to pay tribute to it. Oh, not and only that. Nobody gets it more than American Civil War recreationists. Right. Yeah, they right. are They are ha- hardcore. Yes. And, and not only that, you provided them with a moment frozen in time that they will always have. That's right. 50 years from now. People can watch these episodes and see them, and it will be it thing. will be a that's a really good pres- point. Yeah, it's a perfectly preserved slice, a moment in their lives where they were there, and the trim was perfect, and the colors were. It really is like Star Trek fans. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It really is. Yeah, just to uh, remind us uh, once again where the audience can go to contribute to the bold. What's it called? The, to boldly, boldly Indiegogo. Indiegogo. To boldly Indiegogo. Um, well, you can certainly go to our website, StarTrekContinues.com, and there is a there is a link. Uh, there's a banner and a link right there. Um, you guys, I will, if you don't mind, I will right now in about three seconds send you the direct link to the campaign. And there it is. And um, we would be honored beyond words if uh, if the, the fans out there, people who like what we've been doing, will will help us continue to make more. Well, we can unlike, tri- un, unlike unlike some other productions, all you need to do is watch our episodes to see where your money goes. 
it is very obvious watching our episodes that every penny that we are given is actually used, actually making the episodes that we promise we're going to make. And uh, we have a very, very strong sense of stewardship and, and uh, you know, being ethical and, and honorable about the way we use the donations the fans have given us. We take it very seriously. And the very fact that we've raised only about $300,000 so far to date with the other two Kickstarters, and we've produced six full-length episodes is unbelievable. I the mean, qual- and the quality is Exactly, is exactly. Just- it doesn't look like a camcorder in somebody's backyard. No, it doesn't. Um, and the exactly. transparency of your production is beyond parallel. Exactly. Hey, come on. Doing this in the backyard was fun. Yeah. Well, it was when yeah. I was 12. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah. Ensign Butterfly flapped through that one time. but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for joining us on this oh, week's episode of the Event for Horizon, Vic. Uh, we wish you all the success you deserve, and which is considerable. And we'll be contributing to the new Boldly Indiegogo, won't well, you? God, we, well, God bless you guys. You're wonderful, and thank you for any help you can can give, and we'll definitely look forward to crossing paths with you again very soon. Somewhere. And we'll take you out to Vasquez Rocks anytime you want. <laughs> okay. It's All a right. deal. Have a good night. Alrighty, Thank you, guys. Thank you for joining us this evening for episode 129 of Krypton Radio's weekly production of The Event Horizon for March 12th, 2016, with your hosts, Susan L. Fox and Gene Turnbow. Our guest this evening has been Vic Mignana, the producer, director, and lead actor in the Star Trek fan production called Star Trek Continues, now crowdfunding on Indiegogo for its next three episodes. This episode of The Event Horizon will air again on March 13th, 2016 at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern, and at 4 a.m. Pacific, 7 a.m. Eastern on Tuesday, Thursday, and the following Saturday. Once all the airtimes have passed, you will find this episode and others as downloads on KryptonRadio.com and on iTunes and Stitcher as podcasts. If you are an author or other creator and would like to be on the show, please contact our production manager, Kat Carter, at katcarter at KryptonRadio.com. If you would like to become a patron of the Geeky Arts by supporting Krypton Radio, you can do so for as little as $1 to $5 a month. Please visit patreon.com slash kryptonradio to join the Krypton Radio family of patrons. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The science officer was played by Mark Schirmeister. The engineer was Christian B. McGuire. The navigator was Christine Jerry. And the captain was voiced by legendary science fiction writer Larry Niven. This program and its contents, except where provided by others, are copyright 2016 by Krypton Media Group Incorporated. The Event Horizon. It's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi. <laughs>